0: Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, two weeks ago after the long weekend, it was New Brunswick Day or whatever day you celebrate in Nova Scotia, I don't know what it's called. It's August 1st. But that weekend, that long weekend, my, my, some friends and, and I decided we were going to take our sons camping. We went on a nice camping trip. It was awesome. We took all of our young boys and we had a great time. But the next night, that Monday night, I was out and about. I wasn't far from the house when I got a, a, a frantic text from my wife. It said, Get home now. Your son is possessed. Something has gotten into our youngest child. He's not foaming at the mouth just yet, but he is delusional and giddy. He's up and down. He's crying and he's manic. He's manic. I don't even know what to do with him. And I got home and we put together what was really going on in my kindergartner. You see, we took him camping and he stayed up later than he's ever stayed up. He had more sugar than he's ever sugared. He had less sleep than he's ever had. And now... It was coming back to bite him. And so we knew what was going on and we knew the solution. It's 6 p.m. and son, you're going to bed. (laughs) Any parents know exactly what I'm talking about? It's really nice when like things, when all hell breaks loose and you know the source. And you know what's really going on and you can diagnose it easily. Like you you can put together why that happened. There's an explanation for it. We like Having an explanation for the reason all hell is breaking loose. When we have a good reason, like my son's acting crazy and uncharacteristic, there's a reason for that. He stayed up late, he had way too much sugar, and now this is what you get. You know, it's nice when we get a good explanation. We know why things happen sometimes. Like, some of us, when we're getting older, well, it's not rocket science, why our bodies start to have more troubles. Like, last week, Pastor Dan, he won't mind me telling you this, we were at staff retreat, playing basketball. Some of the, the guys on the, on the staff team, and Dan jumped in, and within minutes, he got out, because he tore his Achilles. You'd be praying for a quick recovery. But he knew why. He texted us from the hospital, he says, Well, if I've learned anything, I've learned that I'm not 57 anymore. (laughs) Right? There's an explanation. Our bodies degrade and deteriorate as we get older. And, And we love to have a good explanation. But if you live long enough on this planet, you will inevitably come into a moment of trial, tribulation, and trouble, of difficulty that has no good reason, really. It's a, and pardon my French here, but I think I'm using it in its proper context. It's a what-the-hell moment. Anybody? You live long enough, you have these moments where you're just like, okay, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why are these things happening? What is the source behind this? And it doesn't take a a very sharp student to look around the world, and we can see all kinds of what-the-hell moments unfolding. Things that are happening where... There doesn't seem to be a good reason. We might take a stab at it. Like some of the, maybe the environmental events that are happening. You know, you can say, you can put a blanket statement of global warming over it. But at the same time, you wonder, maybe there's more going on even than that. As we see Haiti having another earthquake. And we see tons of places on fire. You know, what? what's going on? What's behind all this? You see it in political powers and in nations you see right now I mean how many of you are following on the news Afghanistan and the Taliban just taking over you look at that and you're like what drives a group of people to behave that way you know and you might say well it's 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 a bad religion or something but I wonder if there's something behind it I wonder if there's a thing behind the thing or you look at the political atmosphere right now. You look at the social fabric of our civilization and all the division and all the accusation and the meanness and the vitriol and all the things that are happening in our day. And you wonder, well, is it just, is it just the times? Is it just culture? Or is there, is there something deeper? And I wonder if you've not noticed that in your own relationships and family where there's not been a good explanation. Some of you have gone through unbelievable trials lately. And you can't just chalk it up to, well, crap happens. There might be something else going on, something deeper, something behind the thing. What is it that we, when we look and we see a a moment that defies good explanation, what is the Christian supposed to do and how are we supposed to think about those things? Today in our study in the book of Revelation, it kind of gets to the point and it exposes the root behind all of the atrocities, all of the division, all of the accusation, and the shame, and the addiction, and the bondage, and the vitriol, and the, and the difficulty of the human experience, and the world that we live in, it gets to the heart of it. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, we have been journeying for since January of 2020, off and on, through this book called Revelation. And we've learned a lot in this journey, although we are only halfway through. We're taking our good old time, and we're going to get through. We're on the three-year plan. We'll get through it. But we've learned a lot in this book that was written in uh, the 96 AD by a man named John who had a series of visions. And in these visions, he communicated a very pertinent message to the church, not just in his day, but in every day since that day, even today. Amen. And we've learned in the book of Revelation a few things, and I want to make sure we hit this again today because we're getting to the heart of the book. And if you don't have your head on straight as to what the book is about and what it's trying to do, it will cause you to run off in some direction that the book did not intend you to go in, in which many of us have been brought up in. There's a lot of bad teaching, misinformation. We love that word. There's a lot of misapplication. There's a lot of difficulty around this book. So we've learned a few things, and just to catch you all up to speed, here's what we've learned, some clarifiers. First and foremost, the book is called Revelation, not Revelations. Please do not put an S at the end of Revelation. And the word Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which does not mean apocalypse in the sense of the end of the world and destruction. It's apocalyptic out there, says the weatherman. That is not what apocalypse means. Apocalypsis is a Greek word for unveiling. Which is the purpose of the book of Revelation is actually to show you something that you were not seeing before. It is to remove a veil. It is to provide a lens. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. Anybody maybe late in life have to get glasses? And that moment where you put on your prescription and you realize you couldn't read road signs? Like, oh, the whole world's a a a light. That's what the book of Revelation is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a lens to help us see things that are hidden. It's to unveil reality, ultimate reality. It it, it tells us to look. Revelation, see what you were not seeing. So the purpose of Revelation, and this is very important. I wanted to hit this today because what we're going to hit today and what we're going to hit in the days to come, it's so important that you don't miss the forest for the trees. The purpose is to set the present today. It's a message to you and I right now to set the present in light of the hidden realities of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the future. So the book of Revelation does speak of things that are to come. But it is supposed to be a lens by which we see today. It was never meant to be some secret thing that's, hey, this is going to be really important for somebody someday when Jesus returns. That was not the purpose of Revelation. It was to give us information about the future so that it would bring transformation to our present. That's why the book of Revelation was given. So it was to set the present, it was to set your reality in light of the Lamb and the future, but also it was to give the the it was to set the present in light of the hidden realities of the present. So the book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into forces and things that are at work here and now that you cannot or we're not seeing. So it's not just a book about the future, it's a book about today. That there are realities at work and it gives us a lens by which we will see them. Now the reason we get in trouble with the book of Revelation is because it's a communication form. It came in a series of visions, but it's a communication form that we don't use these days anymore. It's called apocalyptic literature and it uses imagery to communicate a deeper truth. I, I said this last week, the closest thing that you and I have to apocalyptic imagery would be like political satire comics at the back of a, a, a newspaper. It paints a picture so that we know, ah, that's what it means, right? Like that, anybody see the conservative thing with, with Trudeau's head whining and dancing? Anybody see, see, see that going around before the election? Maybe you didn't. But we know what that's trying to say. It's, 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 it's an expanded image and so here's some more clarification. Revelation is a type of literature, a communication called apocalyptic that uses imagery to reveal a hidden truth. It is deeply rooted in and connected to the whole of Scripture. So some of the pictures that we get, like the one we're going to look at today, are pictures that we've seen throughout the whole of Scripture. How many of you know this whole book is connected from start to finish? It tells one story about one person, and this grand story we are invited to live in the light of. And so it's connected and rooted in Scripture. But for us in the modern mind, understanding the book of Revelation takes more work than for the original audience. They would have known quicker than we do. Hence the many bad interpretations. Yet, when understood in its proper literary and cultural context, the book of Revelation, the message is clear and life-changing. Can we get an amen? Amen. One more note, because we are in the middle. We've learned this in the past as well, that When we communicate, usually we save the climax for near the end, right? Like we save our our main point for last. But in first century, they would often be more chiastic communicators. In that, they would put their main point dead smack in the middle. And that's important for us to know because we are right dead smack in the middle of the book of Revelation. This is the stuff. This is the word. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the whole thing is just laid bare for us to get. And that's what we see today with this picture of the woman and her child and a dragon. A woman, a child, and a dragon. I saw a great sign in heaven. There was a woman, a child, and a dragon. And now we are supposed to get a deeper picture on this. It talks about a battle in heaven. It talks about the dragon taking one-third of the stars. It talks about a woman who gives birth to a son. And the dragon was there to try to devour him before he even came and was able to fulfill his destiny. But he did not succeed. It tells us that the, the, the child was snatched away to heaven where he now rules and reigns. What is this talking about? Today, we come to the central climactic message of the book of Revelation. There are three things. I'm going to give you my points. I'm going to fly through them. Today, we're going to get educated on what the Bible is really telling us. Three things we must see. I'm going to give you my points, and I'm going to break them down. Write them down if if you're a note taker. We have to see our true enemy. We need to see that he's defeated, and we need to see how we overcome him. We need to see our true enemy. We need to see that he is defeated, and we need to see how we overcome him. First is this. Let's break down Revelation 12. I'm going to give you my point, I'm going to show you. Number one, this is what Revelation lays bare the big reveal, the big unveiling at the heart of the book. We see a dragon, a red dragon. And it tells us this church, human beings, planet Earth, God, we have an ultimate enemy. We have an enemy, the dragon, the Satan, the serpent, the devil. The dragon is the bad thing behind the bad things. The dragon is the bad thing behind the bad things. In Revelation 12, we get to this moment and there's this unveiling where all of these tribulations are happening and all of these difficulties have been unfolding. And John, through this divine revelation from Jesus, says, there it is. There's the source. There's the real problem behind all of it. It's not, your, your enemy is not Caesar. Your enemy is not poverty. Your enemy is not racism. Your enemy is not slavery. Your enemy is not infidelity. There is an enemy behind those things. That is your true enemy. This is what's really going on. Did, did you catch it? Look what it says back in our text. Verse three, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Now, what's that talking about? What's that talking about? We'll unpack that in just a second. It goes on. It says, it actually names who the dragon is. Look, verse 9. This great dragon, I like that, like, as we get to the middle and the climax, John can't risk metaphor anymore. He's like, in case you don't know who the dragon is, it is the ancient serpent. If you don't know who the ancient serpent is, called the devil or Satan, you need any other names, Abaddon, whatever, put all the names in there. This is the one who's deceiving the whole world. You have a true enemy. Now, what do we need to know about the dragon? This is not a sermon on Satan, but it does have to do with him, and we need to look deeper. First and foremost, we need to see that the dragon is there, the serpent, the devil is there throughout the whole of Scripture. He's there in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to the serpent. It tells us that the, it was the serpent. What's, what's a dragon? A dragon is a big, giant serpent, right? And we see the serpent right there deceiving Adam and Eve. We, we find him again in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus faces the same temptation as Adam and Eve did, except he was successful where they failed But he went into the wilderness and was tested by the devil. Now, the Bible does not give us a whole lot of backstory or detail about the devil. We don't really know a whole lot. It references him in Ezekiel. Talks about that he was an archangel. He was the head of, like, worship leading in heaven. And he staged a coup where one-third of the angels went with him and turned against God. And they were cast out of heaven. And this references that in Revelation 12 where it says there was a war in heaven and they were cast down to the earth. And so we see that. It talks about it again in Jude. It talks about it in 1 Peter as well. And actually Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so we find this all through the scripture. And this is really all we know about the enemy is that he's real and that he existed before us. And he was the reason that we were deceived into sinning against God and is the reason why all the ultimate trouble exists presently. And so the dragon, it tells us, the devil... Hates God and seeks to destroy all that God has made and loves. This is ultimately what's going on. He is a killer and a destroyer, and he wants to destroy everything that God loves. First Peter talks about it, he says, "Be, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do we have any saints that have lived long enough to know that that's true? He just picks his spots. He is waiting to devour you. He is waiting. And that's what, where we get those what-the-hell moments. He, he does not play fair. He will take advantage of anything and everything he can to bring destruction and shame and condemnation on your life so that you will ultimately die and God will be defied because God loves you. How many, how many parents know the best way to attack you is to attack your kids, right? Right? This is why he hates you. It's really because he hates God, and he knows that God loves you, and so he attacks you to get at God. That's ultimately what's going on. So we find this about the dragon. And the, the dragon, the devil, and here's what you need to know, destroys through deception, division, and accusation. This is his game. This is what he does. He's a deceiver. Verse 9, check it out in your text. You should leave your text open in Revelation 12. Verse 9 says he's the deceiver of the whole world. That's what he is. He looks to deceive And then divide to bring conflict between us and God and us and our neighbor? What do you see in Genesis 3? I wish we had more time today. We don't have a ton of time. But Genesis 3, you see immediately Adam and Eve are deceived. They're then disconnected from God. And then what do they do? They start pointing fingers at each other. Adam says, that woman you gave me. Right? That's where it comes from. The enemy looks to deceive us, to disconnect us from God, and then divide us from God and one another. And that brings our destruction. That leads to destruction. Actually, the word devil, it actually comes from the Greek word diabolos, diabolos, diablo. And that word actually means to divide and to cross. That's what he's trying to do. Division is his name. He seeks to deceive, divide, and destroy. Jesus talked about him. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus says the devil was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth. He's a liar because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is the father of lies. He seeks to get us off the truth, and he does that through lies. He deceives us. That's what the enemy does. And so, ultimately, here's the the last idea about the devil, and I'm going to talk about him getting, getting put in his place. The devil is the root of destruction on earth and our true enemy. The devil is the root of destruction. He is the ultimate cause. Did you catch the verse? It says he makes war against the woman and her offspring. He's on the earth seeking to devour and destroy. The Bible says he's the ruler of the powers of the air. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. And so you need to understand something. And this is critical, church. And it's critical that the church gets this right now. That stupidity and selfishness and sin and destruction and decay and death are all traced back to the dark deception of the devil and demons. And he wants to utilize those things to brutalize God's people. That's what he does. Ephesians 6, and this is really what I want us to get, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week, I think. Ephesians 6, Paul says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here it is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? Our struggle is not against people. People are not the enemy. You say, well, well, I mean, Biden, Trudeau, Hitler, you put all the, no, people aren't the enemy. Terrorists aren't the enemy? No, they're not. The devil is the enemy and he is manipulating those people, and they are in bondage, and the church has got to see with eyes. Look past the person. Look past their decisions and past their actions and see a person in bondage and deception. We need to be able to see. So the devil is the root of destruction. You need to know your enemy. Let me ask you a question really quick. Do you know your enemy? Have you... Have you been duped into thinking that your colleague that makes your life miserable at work is your actual enemy? Or your boss is your enemy? Or your spouse is your enemy? Or that person who betrayed you is your enemy? Have you been duped into seeing them as the enemy? Or, or will you take what the Bible, what the book of Revelation is trying to get you to see, look beyond the physical and see behind the veil, there is a dragon, there is a deceiver, there is a defiler, a destroyer that is actually working to pit one another, to pit us against one another for our ultimate destruction. That is really what's going on. Look, it says, the dragon. So for the first church, Caesar is not your enemy. But there's someone behind him. The Taliban is not our enemy. The woke are not our enemy. Debt is not our enemy. Cancer is not our enemy. Health issues are not our enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. The dragon is our enemy, ultimately. And this is what Revelation is trying to get you to see. It's saying, look, look, see the source. See the thing behind the thing. Get the right enemy. Know your enemy. Get in the right fight. Don't be deceived. There is an evil behind the evil realize the real problem. We have an enemy, there is a dragon, and it is seeking to devour us. You need to know this. And now some of you already, and I, I know this because I, I hear this voice a lot too, like that voice that says, oh, come on, come on, a, a devil. And you start to pull up these like cartoon characters with a pitchfork and red, a red tail. And, and the rationalist in you starts to speak. Some of you are hearing it right now. Let me just say something to you. You need to understand about the devil. Jesus believed the devil is real. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to believe what he believes. And here's the, the reality is the smartest human being who's ever, ever lived was very matter-of-fact about the fact that there is a devil. And ultimately, the enemy loves to just convince you that he's not there. I love this. I love this. Quote from C.S. Lewis. This is in the Screwtape Letters. Great book. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. He's talking about demons, powers, and principalities. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy interest in them. They are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. See, the enemy is happy for you to just ignore him or obsess about him. But what you have to do is take him seriously in the right way. So how do we, how do we actually deal with the devil? Well, let's, let's look a little deeper. Back to Revelation chapter 12. So you got the picture? There is a devil. There is an enemy ultimately behind everything. Know your enemy. Catch what it says. It talks, about, it talks about a woman. It talks about a woman who's going to give birth. I saw a woman clothed with the sun and the moon beneath her feet. Who is this woman? And she was pregnant she was going to give birth. Who is this child? Well, if we had time, I could actually show you some of the imagery, even in the Old Testament. The woman, in short, is not just Mother Mary. It's not just Israel. It's not just the church. But it, she represents the people of God. God's people. And the son is the one who came through the people of God to deliver the people of God. The one who the, who the, who the woman delivered becomes the deliverer. Look, look further. It says she gave birth to a son. Actually, go back. talks about how the, uh, the devil was there ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. You ever read the story of, of the birth of Jesus? Did you know that Revelation 12 is a Christmas text? I'm going to read it at Christmas Eve at the Imperial. should do that. <laughs> <laughs> all these, all these people that you bring, you're like, share the gospel, Brent. Yeah, I, no, this is the gospel. Actually, this is right. This is this is as gospel as it gets. But he was there to try to, to try to abort the plan of God. There was a genocide. Herod had all the children destroyed in where he thought the Messiah was going to be. But it didn't work. It says that he was snatched up to heaven. He 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 was taken away. And then it tells us that. Whatever this child did, somehow he has accomplished salvation and power. The kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. He has been thrown down. He's been thrown down. So the baby, who's the baby? Who's the child? Jesus. Very good. Very good. You're going to get 100% on every test in church if you just say Jesus. Actually, you're going to get 100% on every test in life if you just say Jesus. that That'll preach. Come on. So it's speaking. What's this talking about? It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know the gospel? The gospel is this, that God created everything. You're here, and God designed you. He knew you before your mother's womb. He he created the heavens and the earth. We're not some cosmic goop mistake. God fashioned us, and he called creation good. He made us in his image. He gave people the authority to rule the earth and have dominion over it. But we misapplied our authority through a deception. The enemy came in, and he deceived us to defy God. And when we defied God, this disconnection came in. Sin entered the picture. And because of sin, we are destined to death. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you are honest with yourself for two seconds, you know that you're a sinner. And so do I. But God, the Bible says, who is rich in mercy saw us in our helplessness, in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our bondage. He saw what the devil had done to us. He saw the way that the enemy continues to seek and kill and destroy his children, and he took our problem upon himself. He was born. He, he became flesh, the Bible says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He grew up and he taught as one with authority. He established his kingdom, not through political prowess, but through dying on a cross and rising in victory. He took on our separation, our sin. He took on Satan, on himself, and he triumphed And became the true king of kings and lord of lords. He became the true Adam. The new Adam through whom all of us are given birth into a new creation. That's the good news. The good news is this. That Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And Jesus rules. And he invites us to live under the reality of his kingdom. To have life fullness of life now and forever. He forgives us of our sins and restores us into right relationship with God. He promises us peace in this life and eternal life forever and ever and ever with him, ruling and reigning as co-heirs. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He rose again in victory and he defeated the enemy that we cannot defeat. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And that's what Revelation is, t- is, is pointing us to. It is reminding us that salvation and power in the kingdom of God, it has come in Christ Jesus. So, so get this and get it deep in your bones. Get it deep in your bones. Our enemy has been defeated. The dragon has been thrown down. Do not make the mistake of not thinking there is a devil, but don't make the equal and opposite mistake of obsessing about him. He has been defeated. He has been trampled. And the Bible says, then the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. We'll talk about that in a minute and more next week even. But you need to get this. The dragon has been thrown down. Six times in Revelation 12, it says he was thrown down. 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 He was thrown down down. six times. You get in the picture? The devil has been defeated. I've seen this in my own life and I've seen it in the church. I've seen so many people come awake to the terrifying reality that there is a devil. There really is. And he hates you and he's trying to destroy your life. And if you stop there, you can live under an oppression and a fear that can be crippling. But then when you realize that there isn't just a devil, but there is a savior. And there is a king who has conquered him. And there is a king who has disarmed him. You begin to start to change the whole way that you live your life. You see, it happened just like he said he would. Verse 10, it said, he has been defeated. We find early on, Genesis chapter 3, immediately after sin, you go study it later this week, Genesis 3, it tells us that, that God cursed the serpent. It said, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause, catch this, think about Revelation 12, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, her offspring, will what? He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, what's it talking about? Again, it's talking about the gospel. Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't he defeat the devil by being struck down? He allowed Satan to to strike him, to bite him. This This is what Colossians is talking about. In Colossians 2, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. The dragon tried to destroy the child, but was conquered in the process. He was thrown down. Let me just preach this for a second. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you have watched movies or you have entertained thoughts or imaginations that have this idea that the devil and Jesus are like equal and opposites, they're gonna go to the 12th round. Maybe some of you church kids, you remember Carmen, the champion. Oh, wow, it's, an, it's, an, it's a lonely place up here right now. <laughs> it's a lonely place. <laughs> There's this song, The Champion, and it's like it goes, and like Jesus gets knocked down, a ghost, and we're not sure if he's gonna win. If you read the Gospels, It's not close. Jesus is uncreated. The devil is created. Jesus is God, the devil is not. The devil is powerful, but he isn't God. It's not equal. It's not the same. They aren't going back and forth. like Jesus is seated on the throne. He's as worried about the devil as I am when my dog gets the zoomies running around my yard. I got a shock collar for that guy. Actually, I just go, and he goes, and he stops, right? I see another meme coming. <laughs> because Jesus isn't worried about the devil. And those who belong to Jesus don't need to worry about the devil. Because we know whose we are. And we know that Jesus stands in, he's actually seated in victory. It's so critical that you get this. Now, here's where we need to kind of land the plane and where the river is going to meet the road for your life. The devil has been defeated by Jesus, but he knows he's defeated. And he seeks the destruction of people and creation before his ultimate demise. Now, as we begin to turn the pages of Revelation, we're going to find that the devil is ultimately destroyed. In fact, the next several chapters are really about God ridding creation of the presence of the devil and all that follow him. And so, it even tells us, Revelation 12, "'Terror will come upon the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time.'" He has little time. He is a drowning, drowning, dying power that is trying to swallow as much that God loves as possible. He's like, if I'm going down, you're coming down with me. That's ultimately what the devil is doing. And now some of you, the obvious question is, well, why, why doesn't Jesus just come back right now and throw him into the lake of fire and lock it up and we're done with that? Well, the reason is there are people that still are the property of the devil, There are people that still belong and are under the authority and dominion of the devil and his works that need salvation. They need salvation. This is why Peter says, like, don't don't think that, don't think that the Lord is being slow. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. What's his promise? To come again. How many know Jesus is coming again? He's coming again. We got to talk about that more, y'all. I can't wait till we get to chapter 19, 20, 21. We're going to just spend time talking and dreaming about heaven. It's going to be awesome. But the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. He's not dragging his heels. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's who God is. He is being patient, and he's allowing his church even to suffer for the benefit of other people finding Jesus. What what an incredible thought that God... Trust us enough to endure the trials of the enemy. That we actually get to participate in the redemption of souls. That, that you might be going through the most brutal trial, and God knows and he weeps with you, but he's saying, I'm just being patient because I need to bring some people in. Even through the way you suffer, you're gonna call you're gonna call people to myself. It's incredible. Which brings us to our main point, and this is the main Admonition and invitation of the book of Revelation. And that is this be reconciled to the Lamb, and as you do, you will overcome the enemy. We can overcome the dragon. Hallelujah. We can overcome the dragon. We can actually stand in victory, not in and of ourselves, but by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and faithfulness even unto death. We can live in victory in death and in life. Let's check it out, did you catch it? It says, it has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. That's what he does, right? He, con- he condemns us. But they, who's they? It's us, it's the church. They have defeated him, how? By being very, very smart through technology, through John Lennon's vision of imagine all the people getting together, through politics and policy. No. We have overcome, we defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. So we didn't, we didn't defeat him, the Lamb did. And as we apply his victory to our lives and his sacrifice, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word, by their testimony, by speaking it out by testifying to what he's done. Testifying to to, to who? To ourselves. How many of you know sometimes soul, you need a reminder today that Jesus is Lord. Soul, you need a reminder today that Jesus is Lord and Satan is not, Jesus is Lord and cancer is not. Soul, you need to be reminded today that Jesus is Lord and death is not. We testify to ourselves, we testify to each other. That's why you need to come to church. Some of you are on the mountain, you're supposed to remind the person who's in the valley God is faithful. We open our mouth, we testify, and we testify to the powers and principalities. I'll never forget, I was changed forever. I was talking to a pastor one time, and he said, if nobody showed up to church, would you still preach? Now, this was pre-pandemic. I preached to an empty room for a year, (laughs) y'all. But he said, would you still preach? And I go, well, no. And he goes, why not? I said, because there's no one there. He said, oh, yeah, there is. You preach to the powers and principalities, and you remind them what's up. You preach to the powers and the rulers and authorities of the air. There are hidden forces that hate it when you say, Jesus. When we sing, forever he's glorified. Demons start shaking and peeling, taking off. We preach, we testify. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. We were faithful to the very end. This is is how we overcome. I'm going to break this down in some detail next week and, and talk about it in more depth. But you need to know that he has been defeated. Here is the ultimate admonition of revelation. You have an enemy, yes. He hates you and he is terrifying. And if you don't have Jesus, you are sunk. But can you conquer him? You can conquer him by Jesus. Apply the blood. Apply his salvation to your life. Through Jesus, declare his truth To your life and to others, prophesy through Jesus, resist fear. That's ultimately how the devil got in in the first place. He planted a seed of scarcity. Hey, God is holding out on you. You can't trust him. The way we overcome is by trusting God even through the most scary, difficult times of our lives. We will overcome by not fearing even death. That's how we overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We remind ourselves that His mercy has triumphed over judgment. His righteousness has covered my sin and shame. His peace, it conquers all violence. His life has conquered death. We we claim the blood of the Lamb. We claim the word of our testimony. We learn how to wield the word. I was thinking, I'll end with this. I was thinking, uh, yesterday I took my son out to our friends, uh, they're, uh, Alan, Alan Arbo, and we were, uh, him and Alex, and my son Aiden, we were shooting bow and arrows, like compound bows and stuff, and they had a, they had like a, one of those, the crossbows, anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Those, like, those things are deadly, literally. But there's, like, a pretty high-powered weapon, right? And I, I was like, Bud, you want to shoot the crossbow? And he's like, Yes. And so we, we set him up and sit him down. He pulls that thing back and it like sends, a, sends like a, a bolt that thick, right? Like, yeah, anyway, didn't, we didn't shoot it. We didn't shoot anybody. But, but my son shot it. And you see this, I wish I had it on video. He, he shoots and he goes, oh, the power, right? Like the, the raw power of this weapon, the funny thing is, though, and I was thinking this last night, is, like, I actually put a weapon way more powerful in my son long before he ever touched a crossbow. Man, I taught my kids when they were two and three years old, I gave them a weapon of mass destruction. I taught them, and I've heard them. I've heard them at night before when they were afraid. I've heard them singing in their room, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That word, that word, that word, Jesus, is the most powerful word in the universe. And that word breaks chains, that word heals wounds, that word conquers death itself. It is the word of Jesus, it is by Him and through Him only that we overcome. This is the message of Revelation. Let me remind you today, if all hell is breaking loose in your life, know your enemy, See the thing behind the things. Don't get duped. The church has got to stop fighting spiritual weapons with earthly wisdom. We've got to start knowing. We We have got to be the ones that see what's really going on. And we have been given the equipment to deal with it in heavenly places. Know your enemy. Know he's been defeated. If you let the devil have a foothold of fear, he will run with that miles and miles and miles. Remind yourself and remind him he has been defeated and know how to overcome. I was thinking this. I want to read this over you as a bit of a prayer. We pro- I'm not going to ask Pastor Jay or Pastor Seth or Josiah to sing this song because I don't even think we know how to do these time signatures anymore. But there's this old song Uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Anybody remember that? Any old saints know that one by Martin Luther? A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty bulwark is he. Yeah? Anyway. But the words, man. The words. These guys weren't just poets. They were theologians. And I was thinking about this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Say the word. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for victory. We thank you that, like it says in 1 Corinthians, Christ has given us overwhelming victory. Lord, establish your victory in our spirits today. Even the one who's seeing all hell breaking loose around them. Establish your victory Let us be reminded right now that no power of hell, like it says in the modern hymn, no power of hell can pluck us from your hand. Those who belong to the Lamb, those whose whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those who are clothed in his blood, those who, who speak the testimony of the true, one true God, those who overcome even through death, we have nothing to fear. Father, I pray for the one who's struggling today, God. I pray that your truth would overwhelm the lies of the enemy. That the hope that we have in Christ Jesus would overwhelm any despair and anxiety. Lord, I'd remind the church today. Holy Spirit, remind the church right now. I just pray this. And I declare this. That you don't have to stay bound. You don't have to stay discouraged. You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay hopeless and downtrodden that we have a savior and we serve a victor and a king. And Lord, we rest today in your victory. We relish in your victory and we claim that truth, that it's only a matter of time before the clouds part and you fully establish your kingdom and you do away with the prince of darkness and all that would go with him entirely. And we, we look forward to that day, God. We love you, Jesus. God, I just bless your church today in the mighty name of Jesus. Establish your lordship like never before in our day, we pray. And all God's people say, amen, amen.